our faith, where we're living it out in our daily lives. Many of you, when you came in, uh, got a little card. If you did not get one, you can grab one on the way out. Uh, and this is kind of the rule of life that we've created. I think we can get that up on the, on the board here. And, and the goal of this, the goal, the idea of a rule of life is kind of a spiritual inventory of your life. Think about it almost like a spiritual budget. We were just talking about money. Um, and sometimes what we do is we create really clear pathways for our week and for our calendar and for our money and all of those things, and we completely neglect any kind of practices spiritually. We don't pay any attention to how are we going to actually grow in our faith? How are we going to live this out in our everyday life? And, and so think of this almost as a trellis that helps you practice. This card right here is your personal training plan. This is your coach for the next year. And, and everybody at the end of the year is kind of thinking about what's my New Year's resolution? What's my word for the year? Everybody starts thinking about gym memberships and starts thinking about how am I going to invest? I just want to really encourage everybody, invest in this. Double down in this. Um, um, figure out ways to practice the rhythms that are a part of here. And so the four squares, the four quadrants there are the four invitations of Jesus. Jesus invited his followers to come and see, to follow me. He invited them that I will make you and then to go and make. And so we wanted to create rhythms around that that help us practice those things. So we talked about consistent rest. What are our patterns of Sabbath where we rest daily and get in the word and, and spend time with Jesus in prayer? And what does our Sabbath weekly look like? How are we slowing down so that we can actually trust him and resisting the impulse of the world? We talked about relational presence. We talked about community. And so we don't just want to worship. We want to live in community. And so how do we listen to others and share with others? Who are the people that Jesus is inviting us to be with, to spend time with, to open up space in our lives to be with? Then last week, we talked about missional imagination. We talked about reaching out. What are the patterns of the world that we need to, re to resist? And what are the ways in which we need to risk? And, and today, we want to talk about discipleship possibilities. And so what we've talked about is we've talked about worship, community, mission, and discipleship in those four areas. We've talked about these four categories, and I believe these four categories are the categories that hold our spiritual walk and our spiritual faith. Do you guys remember this guy from last week when we talked about the, 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 the guy that skips leg day? Do you guys remember this picture? Uh, it was really funny. My son's basketball team played Saturday night on the road in South Carolina. They had a game in South Carolina. And there's one of the boys on Caden's basketball team that doesn't quite look this bad, but his legs are really tiny. And the student section started chanting, three skips leg day, uh, every time he would shoot a free throw. That's what they started chanting. Uh, my son loved it. It was, it was pretty amazing. Um, but, but many of us, we look like this spiritually. Because what we've done is we've, we've overemphasized our worship time. We've spent all of our strength, all of our time in the gym, all of our practice time showing up to worship services. And I, I was talking to a young person the other day, and I was like, tell me your spiritual practices. I've just started asking people this. And, and, and he said, well, here's what I do. I go to a church on Sunday morning, then I go to another church on Sunday night for another worship experience. And then there's this group of young people that does this college worship experience on Wednesday nights, and I go and I worship on Wednesday nights, and then I watch a couple sermons online throughout the week. And I was like, bro, you are fat on worship. That guy is swole on worship, am I right? Like that guy is, he's got all the worship stuff going on. I was like, what are you doing for discipleship? What are you doing relationally with other people? 
What are you doing? How are you living on mission in your everyday life? And he was like, well, I, I go to church, and then I go to another church, and then I go to another church, and then I go to another. I was like, yeah, but you're just, that's just worship. We, we, we oftentimes have this unbalanced relationship with spiritual practices. And one of the things that's helpful about this rule of life and this tool is it allows us to actually work on our weaknesses and to grow in the areas where we need to grow. So we're often underdeveloped in specific areas or overdeveloped in specific areas. Like, uh, to be really truthful, some of you who, how many of you have been in the church since the day you were born? Like, you were a baby in the nursery. How many of you? Raise your hands high. That's something to be proud of. Lots of babies. Look at that. Babies in the nursery, Right? We were there. We, had, we got some babies being born in the church in, in the coming weeks. Jacob and Leah Pline had their baby. The Cheneys is coming this week. Lots of baby stuff. And, and those babies are going to grow up in the church where they're there every week. They're here. They're, they're worshiping. They're all. Some of you who have been in the church since you were a baby, you are about 500 Bible verses too fat. Right? You've learned a million Bible verses, and you apply this many of them in your life. Our education has outgrown our formation. And so we need to zero in on how do we actually practice this. We think that knowledge equals maturity, and it doesn't. Practices equal maturity. Uh, we need to have a bias towards action in the church. I, I, I've been praying about this a lot in my own life, about having a bias towards redemptive action. Like when there's this moment where I'm stuck and I, I love strategy and I love vision and I love dreams and so I, I'm one of those crazy people that just has whiteboards on top of whiteboards on top of whiteboards. All right, so I love to just start drawing on the whiteboard. I love to create new tools. I love to create frameworks and dreams and I love to think about the future and what's next. But if I'm not careful, my whole life is lived on a whiteboard and not in real life. Because I can strategize about this stuff forever when I just wanna have a bias towards doing things. And so I've caught myself a bunch as, I, as we've been going through this series, like building things and creating things and sitting in my office with my headphones on, listening to worship music, creating all kinds of things. And I've realized I need to have a bias towards redemptive action. And sometimes instead of just sitting by myself in a room, I just need to get out in the world. I just need to go knock on the doors. I need to prayer walk. I need to talk to a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. I need to spend time with a friend who's hurting. I need to, to, to love and care for the broken of our community and serve. And I want us to have this bias towards redemptive action. But there is a challenge in this. And the challenge for this is none of us want to work out. Are you with me? I got we. We have these intentions of, of, of living out our life spiritually. We have these intentions of walking into these practices, but when it comes down to it, we, we, we either don't want to or we don't have the will to. And so we get stuck, and I, I wanna just name five challenges today that get us stuck, particularly in the area of discipleship, because I am passionate about discipleship. But I believe there's five real challenges that the people of God face right now. So the first challenge is this. We prefer to be a disciple while Jesus asks us to make disciples. We would rather be a disciple than make disciples. This is a real, real challenge for us. Uh, according to the Pew Research Center, 24% of Americans attend church weekly, 24%. Out of those 24%, 35% of those people attend a group weekly beyond the Sunday gathering. 
And out of that 35% who attend a group weekly, so you got 24% of the population, 35% of the 24%. And out of that 24%, less than 7% of people in the church meet twice a month with another believer to open up the word together and to do any kind of discipleship. So if we look at church culture, that's less than 1% of the American population is actually making disciples. And we wonder why we're not getting traction. I was listening to John Tyson this week, and John Tyson was, was kind of telling a story about how we have to know the score. This is what he, he said, I love this about American sports. American sports, we know the score and there's a winner, except soccer, right? Uh, we, know, we, know the, we know the score and everybody knows, and at the end of the game, when it's the end of the game and it's, there's, like, it's the two-minute drill, right? There's two minutes left in the football game. Your team is down by a field goal. You gotta go get a field goal to tie or a touchdown to score. You know the score, you know the clock, and you run your best play because you have to, Right? In those moments, you don't just try anything. My son's team the other night, they were playing, and, and it was a four-point game in the fourth quarter. There were three minutes left, and a kid tried to throw the ball off the backboard to his teammate who was going to dunk it. It was stupid. Right? That's not the play you run at the end of the game. You don't try fancy stuff. You don't say, well, let's do a crazy flea flicker here and do something silly here. You run your best stuff at the end of the game because the moment demands us. And I wonder if in the church we've forgotten the stakes right now. We are losing a generation of young people. There's no other way to ride it. There's no other way to establish. COVID has actually sped up the loss of young people in our churches. We are losing a generation right now. And so we have to invest in discipleship. Jesus' final command to his disciples, the last thing he said, the thing that he wanted them to remember the most is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19. If you haven't memorized it, go memorize it. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. This is the final commandment. Jesus' last moment to speak to his disciples. And, and, and listen to this. He doesn't say the functional Great Commission. Because here's the reality. We have a Great Commission. This is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Are you with me on that? Right? I don't need to break that down. I don't need to talk about the Greek of it. It's right there. Go make disciples. This is the thing that Jesus said. This is the most important thing. But what we do in the church, uh, my friend Will Mancini says we have a functional Great Commission. And the functional great commission of the church is this, go into all the world and make more worship attenders, baptizing them in the name of small groups and teaching them to volunteer a few times a month. And the functional great commission is outliving the real great commission. Less than 1% of Americans obey the one thing that Jesus asked us to obey. It's time to run the best play, guys. It's time to run the best play. And let me tell you, here's the best play. I've been in ministry for a long time. I'm getting old. I've been around the block for a while. I've preached a bunch of sermons. And can I tell you that sermons stink for making disciples? I have probably, I've preached every Sunday since I was 19 years old. I'm 46. I turned 47 in a few weeks. I've preached every Sunday for a long time long time, 
nobody remembers the sermons I preach. You know where I've received breakthrough in my ministry? People that have been in my home, people who I've sat with over meals, people who I've prayed with, people who I've opened the Bible with, people who I have invested my life into, those are the people that receive breakthrough. We all need to be doing this. We, we, we talked very early on in the stages of this church that everybody needs a Paul and everybody needs a Timothy. And I love the multi-generational nature of our church. It's one of my favorite things about our church, guys. We have lots of young leaders running around who have tons of energy and are excited and are fired up, and we're so glad that you guys are here. We have lots of seasoned leaders that are here who have been around the block and we need you, right? We need, our, we need the young people to bring enthusiasm and excitement and joy and inspire us and fire us up. And we need our seasoned leaders to, to tell us, to speak to us in wisdom, to say, I've been around the block. Like, I, I, I've, I've leaned on so many of my friends this year because my son went off to college for the first time. And it's my first kid going off to college. And I don't know what that means. And I'm not sure how to parent him now. And it's a whole new experience for our family. And so I'm so grateful there's so many of you in the church who walk through that with your kids. And I've been able to talk with you and chat with you. And you've prayed with me. And you've told me it's going to be okay. And you told me he was going to take a shower. And you were right. Like, he did. Like, he's actually taking care of himself. And he's flourishing and he's doing great, but I'm so grateful that we have that in our body around us. If you are looking for somebody to invest in you, here's the crazy thing. There's people in this room who are looking for people to invest in. If you're looking for somebody to have coffee with you and open the Bible with you every week, there are people in this room who are dying to do that and are ready to do that. And let me flip that around. If you are a leader in here who is looking to disciple somebody, you don't have to look far. Just start asking people, right? Just start inviting people. Just start calling them in. Let's, let's hang out. Let's talk. All right, I'm going, I'm going to spend too much time on all these challenges. Challenge number two, we prefer dependence on self, and discipleship requires dependence on Jesus. This is just the reality of it. It is risky for me to walk up to somebody and say, would you like for me to disciple you? It's risky for me to say, would you like me to pour into you? It feels vulnerable, it feels scary, it feels like I don't know enough, I don't have enough strength, I don't have enough knowledge, I don't have a curriculum, I don't have a seminary degree, I don't have, we've got all these excuses for the reasons why we don't invest in the next generation and why we don't invest in discipleship when the only reason that really comes to the, to the front is that we're afraid. We're afraid. And so we're committed more to the functional Great Commission than to the real Great Commission. Even though John 15, 5 says this, it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. When we step out in faith and start making disciples, when we step out in faith and start investing in the next generation, we trust that Jesus is the one who's going to bring the fruit. And all I have to do is be faithful. This is the posture of a kingdom leader. A kingdom leader says to Jesus every single day, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? And we walk in obedience to that regardless of what the outcomes are. We don't take care of the outcomes. We let Jesus do that. I had to learn this very early on in ministry because as a pastor, it will drive you crazy if you try and control all the outcomes. 
What I had to learn early on in ministry was my job is to do what I believe Jesus is asking us to do and to lead us faithfully to those places where he's calling us and to each week open up the word to what I best discern is the word that Jesus has for us. But I can't control what happens with that. The word goes out and sometimes it falls among the thorns. Sometimes it falls among the grass. Like Sometimes it's snatched up. I just simply deliver the word. I'm the instrument that's being played. I just go to Jesus and say, what does faithfulness look like and I walk in it and I hope I just keep hoping I just keep hoping like I, I, I want to call our church in this season and we're going to talk about this as we move into January I want to call us to contend for revival guys I want to call us to just start praying like let's just get back to the basics can we do that like, we're going to get together, we're going to pray, we're going to worship, we're going to open the word, and we're going to say, Jesus, would you bring revival to our community? Would you bring revival to our kids? I love it that our kids, we just, our kids just got back from junior high camp last night. And it was beautiful. All these kids, there were hundreds of kids from the Grace family gathered uh, over in, at New Hope, and all of them worshiping together. I saw all the videos of them all jumping up and down. Our kids won the talent show. They danced to a Justin Bieber song, and they dominated that talent show, right? That's, that's what we do, guys. That's what we do, right? Uh, but we, we just saw a few weeks before that, we had six young people get baptized. Like, that's because we've been contending for revival. That's because for five years, every single morning, I've woken up and I've prayed that we would start a revival in the next generation. It's because there's been faithful people who gather every single week in this place, go out to the park, walk in the student room, place their hands on kids in our church and pray that revival would come. We, we, we were so dependent on ourselves, and when we're so dependent on ourselves, we're like, I can't bring revival. I can't do this. I can't control the outcome. I can't make something amazing happen. I can't generate something that's not being generated. I can't change the spiritual atmosphere. You're right, you can't do any of those things. But here's what you can do. You can do exactly what Jesus asked you today and you can walk in it. And you can say to him, I don't know what the outcome's gonna be. I don't know if this is gonna go well or if this is gonna be a hot mess. That's actually what I prayed when I became your pastor. I don't know how this is gonna go, Jesus, but I'm pretty sure you asked me to come here. And so will you give me wisdom and help me figure this out? We just walk in it. Eugene Peterson says this, he says, hoping does not mean doing nothing. It's not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned task confident that God will provide the meanings and the conclusions. Challenge number three is that we prefer our churches and our lives clean while discipleship is messy. Isn't this true? We want everything clean and easy and simple. Uh, I, 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 and part of this is about control, but part of this is about other things. I was, I was at a pastor's conference recently, and, and, and we had gathered a bunch of pastors, and we had eaten a meal together, and everybody had kind of retreated to this kind of back room, and everybody was sitting around. And, and, and when pastors gather together, I'll let you in on a little secret. When pastors gather together, they talk about you. And so everybody was going around and just kind of saying, I love my people. Everybody always starts with that. I love my church. We, they're, one, they're amazing. They're one, but, there's always a but at the end of it. But this is really hard, or this is really challenging, or this is really difficult. And so we had talked, and the, the, kind of everybody had gone around this big circle, and all the pastors had shared, and everybody kind of did their, I love them, but kind of thing. 
And there was this old pastor in the room. He was in his 70s. He was retired. He'd been doing it for a long time. And he looked up, and he just kind of smiled, and it got to him. And he kind of leaned back in his chair, and he said this. He says, wouldn't our churches be wonderful if it weren't for the people? (laughs) And then he said, but the problem with that is that would be so boring. And it sounds like you guys have such fun challenges to walk with Jesus in. We've got to switch our perspective a little bit sometimes. We've got to switch our perspective and just simply say, like, discipleship is messy. It's hard, right? If you start discipling somebody, they're not going to show up. They're not going to do what you ask them to do. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to fail. Failing is part of the process of growing spiritually. We have stigmatized failing in the church more than we've stigmatized anything else. So we all have to pretend and come in here like we're perfect people living perfect lives and that everything's great week after week rather than just saying to each other, I've had a really hard week. I wanna kill my children right now. Right? My wife and I are fighting. I'm, I'm having trouble paying the bills. Another thing broke in the house. We're struggling and I just need to be honest with somebody. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all figured out. We have to understand that when we disciple people, we don't disciple idealized versions of them. We disciple real people with real problems and real challenges. And so we come alongside of them and we love them and and we serve them. One reason that the church is so powerful, listen to this. This is, I, I, I just, I, I'm always overwhelmed by this. One of the reasons the church is so powerful is we actually sign up to do life with messy people when we sign up to be a part of the church. Like when you say, I wanna be a partner at Grace Marietta, you are signing up to walk in long obedience in the same direction with people who you disagree with, amen. You are signing up to walk with long obedience in the same direction with people who voted for a different candidate than you, amen. You are signing up to walk in long obedience in the same direction with people who might look different from you or be from a different culture than you or live on a different side of town than you or people from a different generation than you. We are signing up to say, I am in, I am committed, I am a part of this body and it's not because I have something in common with everybody here and because they're all just like me, it's because I'm committing to be a part of the body of Christ which is different and beautiful and it's our differences that make us wonderful. And so we commit over and over and over again to say, I'm here. I love 1 Corinthians 1.27. It just says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And there are so many times when I get in situations and it's all messy and it's all gross and I'm like, oh, Jesus, this is hard. Those are the moments that I grow the most. And those are the moments where I experience the most breakthrough. And those are the moments where I see Jesus working and moving. Number, challenge number four is that we prefer receiving while di- discipleship requires giving. And I won't spend a lot of time on this, but 1 Corinthians 9, 7 says, each one of us must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's not just about money, that's about our time. It's about our investment. 
God loves it when we cheerfully invest in the next generation, when we cheerfully pour out what we have into discipleship and others. Acts 20, verse 35 says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than receive. Discipleship always requires a servant's posture because Jesus was the greatest servant. He humbled himself and made himself nothing and asked us to follow that same example. Challenge number five is we prefer instant change and instant results, and discipleship takes consistent growth over time. We are not a culture that's good with delayed gratification, guys. We are not good at this. It's been fun for me. My boys are getting older. My son, my oldest went off to college. My uh, second oldest is 17. He just got a job at Dunkin' Donuts. He's making the donuts uh, in the mornings. My other son uh, got a job with a welding company when he was in high school, which was awesome. He did really well with it. But it was really fun to watch them when they first got their jobs. We're trying to teach them financial freedom and how to, how to be wise with their money. And, and they, all, they both wanted to buy a car, um, but we told them, we're not buying a car for you. Uh, you're going to have to figure that out on your own, and we'll, we'll help along the way. And if you can raise a certain amount of money, we'll match some of that money, and we'll help you out and help you get your car. And so we kind of said, we'll help you out. We, and, and so we set a goal for them. This is what you need to do if you want a car. And if you actually want to drive around in the community and have fun and be with your friends and do those kinds of things, you've got to have a car. And so this is what it takes. And so our boys got jobs. And it was really funny because the first time they got their jobs and they got that first paycheck. Do you guys remember your first paycheck that you ever received? One is you think it's a bunch of money, remember? Your first paycheck. I remember, I remember the very first time I was pushed an offer to become a youth pastor at a church. I thought I was the richest man in the world. I was making like $12 a day uh, as a youth pastor. It was, it was ridiculous. I, it, was, it, was, it was just crazy. But you think it's a bunch of money, and so they get that first check, and they think it's a bunch of money. And every time, the boys, their first few checks, you know, you know what they went for? Every penny went to video games. Xbox, I'm going to buy this game, I'm going to buy this game, I'm going to buy this game. I'm going to buy packs inside the game, right? I'm going to use my Xbox points. I'm going to buy $100 worth of Xbox points so I can make my team better so that I can beat somebody in this video game, right? It's six degrees of separation. Our children watch other people play video games. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world, right? And so they, they, it's just this thing where, where it all went to video games. But over time, what we started to see was we started to see them starting to put money back, starting to pull money aside, starting to say, you know what, I'm going to be disciplined. My, my son was home from college yesterday, and, and he said to me, Dad, I want you to go with me, and I want to go Christmas shopping for the whole family. And he had taken money, and he would placed it in his bank account, and he would saved it, and he put on it Christmas money. And he had money reserved so that he could buy his brother and his sister and his mom and dad some gifts. My other son, who's working at Dunkin' Donuts, has started to build up his savings so he can get his car. And we, we saw, um, my wife is an accountant, so she's very, very helpful with the, the financial placement of different types of things. But we saw he, on his own, pulled $150 out of his account and set it over the side. And she was like, oh, dang it, he's buying three Xbox games. And we looked at him and said, what are you doing? And he said, that's Christmas money. That's Christmas money. Um, I can tell you guys, hope deferred is so much beautiful than instant gratification. Peterson called it long obedience in the same direction. And it's what it takes to make disciples. It's 
year after year after year after year of investing and pouring in and sometimes not seeing the fruit. But then there's a breakthrough. And then there's something happens. It's so much like parenting. Discipleship is spiritual parenting. Like, I never thought I was a good dad. I'm still not sure if I'm a good dad. But I'm starting to see fruit coming out of my kids that makes me think, even if I accidentally did something, something I accidentally did right, and I thank Jesus for the grace of that. But it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like my four-year-old was prophesying and memorizing Zechariah, right? Like, just over time, stuff started to happen. And so we just keep investing and we keep pouring in. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We invest in the highest return, guys. And there's, there's a word in the financial market, and so occasionally it's used in the church, and it makes me cringe. Anytime we start talking about business things in the church, sometimes like we start talking about giving units. That's the creepiest phrase I've ever heard in my entire life, right? When those things start to come into the church, I'm like, I need to get away from this as soon as possible. But the phrase is ROI, return on investment. And the idea is everybody is looking for the highest return on their investment, right? When you invest your money, you're looking for how do I get the most return back? And for some of us, that return is like, I want to get the most um, fruit that comes out of this. I want to see good things happen. If I give somewhere, I want to make sure something good happens with those dollars. For some of us, it's like, I want to invest my money here because I want more money. And so I want to invest my money in a way that multiplies it and grows it in a certain way. And so I, I want to invest in the highest return. And I want to tell you guys, the highest return is always the kingdom. The highest return is always discipleship and mission and community and worship. This is the highest return. We spent $415,000 to build a park out there, not so we could have a cool place for our kids to play, but because of this. There's going to be people in this room 50, 60, 100 years from now whose kids grew up on that park. There's going to be kid, people in this room who got saved because they played basketball on that park. There's going to be a bunch of people who said, my kids played out there, and their kids played out there, and their kids played out there. And I remember when we used to have a Christmas festival out there, and we were hanging out out there. I remember when we used to have trunk or treat in the parking lot. I remember when we did all of these different things. We invest in what we believe is going to bring the highest kingdom return. And I can promise you, whether we are talking about your time or whether we are talking about your money, the greatest investment that you can possibly make is in somebody else's spiritual development. I've said this from the moment I arrived here five years ago. The evidence of our faithfulness is in the lives of our children. If we want to know whether we've succeeded as a church, let's find out 10 or 15 years from now who our kids are and what they're doing. Because I'm praying that there's a generation of young people that are rising up out of this place that are going to set the world on fire. In the last couple of years, some of my spiritual heroes have died. Dallas Willard and Eugene Peterson have passed away. And, and I, I'm, I might be crazy, but I literally pray every single day that God would raise up the next Dallas Willard and the next Eugene Peterson. I think I'm praying for like a little five-year-old right now. I'm genuine when I say that. 
I think there's a little kid somewhere who's going to be the next spiritual father of the church someday, and I'm praying that Jesus would protect them. I went to a worship event the other night. Um, it was this big, giant kind of thing. The whole place was filled, and it was people to the rafters, and this worship group was praying, and I don't know. It was a, I don't know if it was a concert or a worship thing. America's weird. Um, but they were doing their thing, and the whole time, all I did was just pray for these 20-year-olds that were single. And I was just like, Jesus, protect them. Jesus, grow them. Jesus, do not let the crowd get their attention, but you keep their hearts. And I, at one point, I was, I was literally weeping as I was praying for these guys. Because the, the, the return, the, the investment that they're making, the things that they're doing is beautiful, but I know how the enemy wants to sidetrack all of that. And if I'm gonna think about the second half of my life, I'm getting old, guys. If I'm gonna think about the second half of my life, the second half of my life, I just wanna be a spiritual father. I just wanna figure out how to invest in the next generation. I wanna find the young people in our community who look like Jesus to me, who are growing, and I wanna pour into them and invest in them and care for them. And I think that's the task of the church. I think that's our job. It takes a village to raise a child. And I am so grateful that for the last five years, my children have grown up in this community where they are loved by you and prayed for by you. Like, I cannot tell you how many times people call me and say, I'm praying for your kids. And every time I hear that, I'm just like, I, I'm so grateful that I can. We all need to invest in the next generation. And so the two action steps that I wanna just encourage you into when we think about discipleship are, are just this. First is, who do I need to invite? Who do I need to invite? Timothy and Paul. Who am I inviting into my life so that I can invest in them? And sometimes it looks like saying to somebody, I want to intentionally walk with you. I wanna walk through a book with you. I wanna read the Bible with you. I wanna study with you. I wanna invest in you. Sometimes it's just saying, hey, could we have coffee once, once a week? I just, here, here's a great way to say it to somebody. I see Jesus in you and I wanna pray for you. Is it possible for us to hang out once a week, twice a week, once a month? Can I just encourage you? Can I just pray with you? Can I just come alongside of you? Imagine if all of us are doing this. Imagine if all of us are doing this just with our children at home, just taking time to invite our kids. Can I just say, if you have not invited your children into an intentional discipleship process, start there. Don't worry about anybody else's kids. Start with your kids. Invest in them. Pour into them. Make time. We're, we're first of the year, we're starting a, a Wednesday breakfast with my kids where we're going to Chick-fil-A on Wednesdays. I, I don't like Chick-fil-A. I know that's, a, that's the most controversial thing I ever say as a pastor. I'm not a big fan of Christian chicken, and I know it's crazy. I prefer Popeyes. I'm sorry. I, I do. I know. I know. It makes every, I, some of you are leaving right now. You're filling out your comment card. You're like, I'm out because of this. Uh, I don't love Chick-fil-A, I do not get excited about eating a greasy sandwich and there being way more people there than there needs to be because it's not that good. Like I, but you know who I love? I love Claire and Caden. And I'm setting intentional, this is a practice, I'm asking you for accountability in this. I'm setting up time every single week to take them to breakfast once a week and to pour into them, invest in them. That's the second thing is I, not just to invite, to invest. What's the greatest investment that I can make right now? 
Uh, who are the people you need to pour into? And, and what does that look like? And, and, and guys, as everybody has this tool. If you don't have this, grab one on the way out or make a copy of it off the website or something like that. But here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to be your coach for a minute. And I want to say, what would happen if starting next week, every Monday morning, you sat down and you took a spiritual budget or a spiritual inventory of your life and you looked at these eight categories and maybe you're like, eight is way overwhelming. Start with two. Start with two and say, this week I'm doing these two things and put them on your calendar, right? Monday morning, pray about it, put it on your calendar and say, I'm actually gonna practice this stuff. I'm actually gonna do this stuff. I'm gonna do a Sabbath this week. I'm going to take a risk this week and I believe this is the risk that Jesus is asking me to do. I'm going to invest and listen to somebody around me who just needs to be listened to and needs to be cared for. I'm gonna step into these places and just every week start by saying, I wanna actually practice my faith and I wanna live this out. I don't wanna be the guy that skipped leg days. I wanna invest in this and I wanna be well-rounded and I wanna grow. Like, this is so fun, guys. Some of you have been here for a long time and you're gonna be here for a long time. Like, we're just gonna journey together for a lot because I'm not going anywhere and we're just, you're stuck with me. And, and so we're just gonna be together for a long time and here's the beautiful thing. None of us ever stop growing. Like, year after year, we get to watch each other grow in maturity. We get to watch each other grow in wisdom. We get to watch our kids grow up and our kids grow in wisdom and grow in maturity. We get to be a part of this journey together and there's something really beautiful about it. We had our staff volunteer, or our volunteer Christmas party uh, this week and we, all our volunteers from the church gathered. The room was way too small for us. Um, but we gathered in this place, and our, I don't know if you've seen pictures from our volunteer Christmas party. I, we should have had some, but it's ridiculous. The, 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 the male members of staff grow mustaches. That's why Darrell and I are clean-shaven for the first time ever today is because our wives will not handle mustaches longer than one night to be funny. Um, I don't know why we do this. It's just funny. So we, we'll grow a mustache. We wear crazy Christmas sweaters. We gather together. We do what we call the Gracie Awards where we hand out an award to uh, different leaders in the church. Somebody in our church said, I feel Jesus in this Chili's. Like, well, we're, we're just, we're, we're handing out awards to these leaders and we're celebrating them and, and, and just laughing and having fun and everybody's cheering and Ryan Tuttle writes these weird poems and we literally, our church, guys, our church sang Gangster's Paradise with John Moxley's name in it for like three minutes. This night, the rest of the restaurant thought we were complete lunatics. But I drove home from that event in my awkward sweater with my mustache, thinking, I love these people. And I just want to be here with them for a long time. And there's something beautiful about us as a church just saying, let's commit to urging each other on in this stuff. Let's push each other and stretch each other and teach each other to practice. Let's coach each other up. Let's urge each other on. Let's be with each other. And let's see what Jesus does. I don't know what the next few years hold, right? We may, there's, like a, there's like a transformer version of COVID coming, right? The Optimus Prime or something like that, right? 
I know what it is. I'm joking. It's Omicron. I'm taking it very serious for everybody who's worried. I, I, I know that those things are happening, and I don't know what that means for us. It scares me anytime I hear of any of these kinds of things. I wish we could have, like, fluffier names for it. Sorry. Uh, uh, I, I, I worry about all that stuff, and I worry about what's next, and I worry about what's going to happen. And who knows? Three months from now, we may be shut down again. Six months from now, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that I want to faithfully walk with you guys. And I want to just say to Jesus, right, regardless of what this year holds, virus, no virus, mass, no mass, political craziness, whatever's ahead of us, let's do it together. Let's do it together. And let's put Jesus at the center of it. We're going to move into a time of communion and of worship. And, and, and we've been inviting you as a church just to come and pray. And, and, and I just want to make a special invitation, and, and this may be the invitation for a while. I just want us to contend for revival as a church. And so if you're here and you're just saying, hey, like me, I just want to say, I'm in, I'm here, and I want to pray that revival breaks out, then come and pray. Uh, we'll, we'll open this up, and you can pray here at the altar if you want to pray. You can pray on the side with our prayer team if you want to pray. You can pray exactly where you are if you want to pray. There's communion at the tables around us, but we just want to invite you. We're going to sing a song called For the Sake of the World. And we're just going to say, we're going to sacrifice, and we're going to love, and we're going to invest, and we're going to pour ourselves out, and we're going to do it because we trust that God is going to take that investment, and he's going to bring the return. That we're going to be faithful, and he's going to be the one that brings the fruit. And so I just want to invite you to, let, let's get back to the very basics, and let's just start praying as a church for revival. Can we do that? Can we commit that we're going to pray for revival? And here's what I believe. Every revival in the history of the United States has happened in, in a couple specific ways. It's happened through prayer. It's happened through young people. You hear me, young people in the room. It's happened through young people. And it's happened because there was a community of faith that was courageous enough to actually live out their faith. That was courageous enough to say, I am not satisfied getting fat on verses from Sermon on the Mount. I wanna practice this. I wanna live this out. I want to risk, I want to stretch, I want to grow, I want to do something big. And so I want to ask you just to pray with us. Pray in this season for revival. Pray that God would stir. I want revival to happen at Wheeler High School, guys. Like we have never seen in our community before, I want revival to break out in that school. And I want it to grow from that school to the other schools to the other schools. I want to see revival in our community. Would you keep praying for that with me? So Jesus, we just ask you, we know that there is nothing at all magical about us practicing our faith. That there is nothing that we can do to stir up anything or to force you to act in a certain way, but we just simply want to be obedient and we just want to walk in the ways that you've set before us. And so will you teach us as a church to co-discern together, to hear the whisper, to wreck the roof, to do whatever it takes to follow you and to practice our faith on a daily basis. I pray that a year from now, next Christmas, we're able to look around this room and we're all able to say, we grew in a little bit of ways because we practiced. And we pray for revival, Jesus. I pray for revival in our young people. I pray for revival in our community. We pray for salvations, Jesus. 
I pray that this room is filled with people who don't know you. I pray that you would place a giant spotlight on this place. And when people drive by, there's something that they can't avoid. They've got to pull into the parking lot and they got to come into this place because they're hearing of what the Lord is doing through ordinary and unschooled people. And I pray that you would bring us a group of people that can grow together and worship together. I, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So Jesus, send us workers, send us leaders, send us everything that we need. Give us the finances. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. So $100,000 in December is easy for you. $500,000 in December is easy for you. A million dollars in December is easy for you. I pray Jesus, not just for tomorrow's bread, but will you give us more? Will you give us the increase? Will you give us abundance? Will you give us more than we ever hoped for or imagined? And will you bring the breakthrough? And our commitment to you is you will get every bit of the praise and every bit of the glory because it's all about you, Jesus. So stir us up right now, Jesus. Do the work that I can't do in preaching. Stir our hearts. Call us to action. Teach us to be faithful. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said,